This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Good morning and welcome to Morning Air here on Relevant Radio. It's Glenn in for John once again. Thanks for joining us bright and early, helping you through that first tough week of January. We're glad you're along. It'll be uh, worth your time to stick around this hour. We'll talk with Alfonso Aguiar before the year, uh, before this uh, hour is done. We'll talk about a year now after the Capitol insurrection, famous January 6th from last year. Talk a little bit about that and the, the fallout from that as well. New Glenn Story Corner coming up. But uh, first, a lot of things uh, regarding life and what the Holy Father has to say this week in the news. And uh, who better to look at that with us than Pablo K, editor-in-chief of Angeles News from the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Hey, Pablo, great to have you along. Are you hanging in there on those New Year's resolutions so far? Hi, Glenn. Uh... Uh, happy New Year to you. No comment on the rest of <laughs> Just as well. Just as well. Well, while we start the new year with joy, there are some uh, sad numbers out there right in our face. Uh, this month, of course, the anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision 49 years ago, and we hope and pray that that may go away by the, you know, the end of the school year, as a matter of fact, looking to hear from the Supreme Court. But when we look at some of the numbers of abortions around the world on, on any given year, silencing those heartbeats. And we think of all the attention we pay to, to other causes of death. My goodness, uh, tell us that amazing number, Pablo. Yeah, the, the um, uh, as I happens uh, every once in a while, uh, a new batch of statistics compiled by a site called Worldometer was released um, and, and claims that there were more than 42 million abortions just in the in the last year, 2021. Um, so, you know, on one hand, it shouldn't be much of a surprise to us if we if we're familiar with, uh, I guess, the the influence, the prevalence of the abortion industry, especially in third world countries. But um, but nonetheless, I think it's a, a pretty jaw dropping number. I mean, 42 million is uh, is. Uh, way more people than the size of of many countries um so to think that in just one year um you know that that many lives were wiped out and uh and especially coming out of a year when so many um uh, have perished uh, causes related to to the pandemic to covid-19 right um we we think and and mourn so much about those we know um who have who have died from this disease, um, but I think this is a reminder also to uh, to spare a thought and, and hopefully a prayer for those we don't know and will never know, um, but whose lives have have been lost uh, all the same. When we just let that number sink in, over forty-two million—that is just huge. We're talking about two-thirds of the population of the United Kingdom or France or Italy, just a huge, huge number. And uh, we want to, you know. Keep that in prayer and uh, and keep fighting for life any way that we can. Uh, keep the U.S. as much as we can, too, with our encouragement uh, to not export uh, death as well in the form of abortion around the world. Now, many abortions, 
are, you know, quote, medically recommended for test results that people might not like if they have in utero testing to see what kind of shape that baby's in, if there are any uh, genetic problems and things like that. And we may have heard some of those miraculous stories. Yeah, there's a bishop in my home state of Minnesota whose uh, mother had her doctor recommend that he be aborted. Obviously, she did not. He's a bishop today. Uh, and it turns out there are many stories of, you know, kind of false diagnoses. Yeah, uh, really, um, I would call it a groundbreaking um, news report uh, released by the New York Times just a few days ago earlier this week, um, which kind of did an in-depth study into some of these um, uh, prenatal tests, which are kind of a fashion, I would think, I would say, uh, these days among a lot of uh, tech startups that, that claim to have the technology to analyze um, the blood of pregnant mothers uh, to screen for uh, a variety of very rare blood disorders. Um, so we've known for a few years now that um, blood can be tested for um, things like Down syndrome and other disorders, uh, diseases. Um, and we also know the unfortunate um, consequences of this, uh, though on its face it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with, with testing a child for diseases before it's born, but inevitably, um, as we've seen, especially in a lot of um, modern first world countries like Denmark, Iceland, um, and, uh, and many other countries, but that this leads to a, a very high rate of abortion uh, among these children who are diagnosed, whether um, uh, falsely or not, um, to the point where I think there was a study a couple of years ago that found that really there were just a, uh, just a, a very small handful of children uh, with Down syndrome left in countries like Iceland and, and Denmark. But this study, uh, the, the New York Times investigation, found that among kind of the most popular um, uh, startup tech firms that have begun offering these tests for very, very rare um, uh, blood disorders um, in, in children. Uh, really, the majority, up to 80 or 90% or in some cases, of the positive test results were actually false. They were false positives. So uh, I think for all of us, it was a, it was a bit surprising and maybe even refreshing uh, to find a, a publication of record like the New York Times, which is um, obviously the paper of record in our country, but honestly uh, kind of considered to be a bit progressive in their, in their um, bias, I, I guess you would say, on, on many things, um, that would, would roll out uh, and, and invest uh, their resources in such a serious study of this and with such um, really uh, sobering findings. Pablo Kay, editor of Angelus News with us, uh, taking a look at some life issues this morning here as Morning Air continues on Relevant Radio. Uh, no surprise, the, the Holy Father has some recommendations for how to handle this, the sad numbers of the 40-plus million per year aborted around the world and, uh, you know, think that your baby got an incorrect diagnosis and you ended that young life before it really was able to take a breath outside of the womb. The Holy Father suggests we love children and love them even more than our pets. 
Right. Uh, just the the Holy Father just yesterday morning in his weekly general audience there at the Vatican um, really uh, made international headlines. He made some some comments about uh, this demographic winter, which he he seems fond of speaking about. He he repeats it quite often. Right. He sees um, living there in Italy um, what's around him. Italy, as it happens, has one of the lowest birth rates. Uh, in the world, uh, it has a very ser- serious social problem in which it's, it's. I think it's considered like the oldest um, population of any major country. Um, so you have really uh, this uh, large number, very kind of inflated senior generation. And uh, just that economically, there's a serious crisis of there, there just aren't enough young people being born um to support their pensions and this is a problem that's just going to get more serious now of course the pope um uh as the the vicar of christ on earth is not here to lecture us about economics or pensions or or out here to solve anyone's any country's uh economic crises but he does see this as a um and in his remarks yesterday morning as a really a civilizational uh crisis a civilizational uh, justice issue, if if you will, um, and he took the chance or took the opportunity in uh, in his catechesis on on Saint Joseph on the adoptive uh, fatherhood paternity of Saint Joseph in the context of of Christmas and in these days um, before and after the Epiphany um, to said that to say that really in today's world, uh, thanks to the selfishness of of some couples. Um, but really challenging all of us, you know, so that many couples don't have children uh, because they don't want to, or they just want to have one. They want to live a comfortable life. But on the other hand, they have two dogs or two cats. So as you can imagine, um, that remark kind of uh, grabbed the headlines um, uh, yesterday uh, around the world and and really said that, yeah, you can say that it's funny, but dogs and cats, uh, especially I think in in, uh, first world countries, take the place of children and said that this denial of fatherhood and motherhood um, diminishes us. It takes away our, our humanity. Um, it, uh, and so he really issued a strong uh, encouragement to everyone. He said, you know, it's risky. We, we think, yes, it, it's true that having children implies a risk, uh, but it's riskier not to have them. It's riskier for us as people uh, to lose this uh, dimension uh, this vocation of fatherhood and motherhood, whether or not we're married or even biological um, parents. I think the Pope sees that this is equally important for those called to the priesthood, to the religious life, um, that we can't live in this kind of uh, spiritual bachelorhood. And uh, Pablo, in, in addition to encouraging having children, having more children, having children uh in not instead of pets but uh, not having pets really in instead of kids but also with our, our recent big focus on saint joseph the foster father of jesus the holy father talked about the the power and uh, what a great option that adoption is yeah and, and that's uh it's really interesting i mean knowing also you glenn are are um are come from an, an adoptive family right i mean we see the the yes. potential that is unlocked um, uh, by this, the simple choice, the generosity of a father and a mother, whether they can have um, biological children or not, 
to take that step and and really show what openness to life is about. And really, I think when we hear words like this coming from from the church, from the Holy Father, um, it is a, a reminder um, of what being pro-life really is, right? I think the, the pro-life movement can't just be about legislative battles or, or how we vote, um, but really that we welcome children as gifts, recognizing that they're not ours, that raising them uh, is a mission from God, that they belong to God, that there's a, um, a an eschatological dimension um, to to how we treat the, the weakest and the youngest in our society. Pablo, as I got to mention yesterday, uh, talking with Ashley Nerona a little bit about uh, what the Holy Father was talking about, too, uh, in sharing my story growing up in an adopted uh, household, and, and just what a, a great gift it was to a, a house that had, had so much loss in terms of miscarriage and a, a brother that was a couple years older than me that died after three days and uh, a loss of parents and grandparents on the half part of my, my mother uh, leading up to all of that. And so, uh, you know, what a gift bringing that child into a, a home can be. And, uh, you know, not just because I was an awesome kid, I'm sure, but I mean, I, you know, I know that helped me understand as an adult when I learned uh, kind of the timetable run up to my arrival, like no wonder little Glenn was such a big deal. But, uh, you know, unless it was just because I was an awesome kid, but uh, yeah, adoption can be uh, just a, a beautiful choice as well. Pablo Kay from Angeles News with us for this portion of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio talking about uh, life and more about what the Holy Father is talking about. His prayer intention for the month of January is something that we don't get to experience to the uh, the physical depth that so many Christians do in other countries, and uh, that is victims of religious persecution are the prayer focus. Right, and I, you know, I think this... Um... Uh, the Pope kind of uh, expanded on this prayer intention in a, uh, a video message released uh, earlier this week. He called religious persecution in any form um, inhuman. Uh, he even called it insane. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting that I think the Pope's kind of marquee trip uh, in this last year coming off of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, was his trip to Iraq uh, in March, I believe in which he really saw up close and, and he faced criticism uh, even from many Catholics for, for making the trip in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, but this really shows you where, uh, I think, where his priorities and where his heart is when it comes to this. I mean, um, you know, he, he, he did the kind of customary um, ecumenical visits. He, he visited uh, uh, religious representatives from, from different Muslim communities and so forth. Um, but he also walked around... Uh, a city or two just completely shelled and destroyed um, by by war, and and he understands that within in the case of of Iraq, which just went through a very difficult uh, uh, civil war, um, within that there was very serious um, religious persecution, especially against uh, Christians. Uh, he's also very aware of of um, of, of uh, similar persecution in places like Nigeria. Uh, Syria. So again, this is another civilizational issue um, that the Pope um, sees that it's important to to keep our eyes and our prayers focused on. Well, some of these areas, the cradle of civilization, and yet to be almost uh, eliminated in terms of a Christian presence is is quite amazing when you stop and think about it. Yeah, I mean, and. Uh, and uh, it's not, you know, it's still, um, it's ongoing. 
um, there hasn't been uh, uh, some kind of uh, uh, stop or, or solution to to a lot of this violence, even if it's less in the in the news headlines than before. Um, but then you have places in in like in in Nigeria where where you know a very strong Catholic presence. Um, it's something like half the country uh, is Catholic or Christian, but you have militant groups um, uh, like Boko Haram, the Fulani militants, um, and as a result, uh, there's estimates that an average of ten Christians a day are killed in in Nigeria. So there's twelve months out of the year, Glenn, and uh, I think, but you know, the fact that the Pope um, dedicated his prayer intention for the first of those months. To the to the plight of persecuted Christians, I think uh, tells us something too. Absolutely, and uh, Pablo, one more point before we let you go too in the news about the Holy Father's uh, focus, and this is something that is right before us when we think of uh, all those suffering uh, with related to COVID illnesses or work situations and and whatnot. But the Holy Father talking and reminding us about how visiting the sick is a Christian imperative. Right, and again another thing that happened uh, in the Pope's own life in, in 2021, I think speaks volumes here. He was, um, he was hospitalized, I believe it was July, for a very a serious um, colon uh, inflammation, um, so to speak. And uh, so I think he experienced in his flesh what it is to be in the hospital, even if he has the whole world, the whole church praying for him. Um, uh, really, I think, got to see with his own eyes um, the suffering that many people, especially his age, face, um, especially when they've been kind of discarded uh, by even their own children, get grandchildren, and instead of being taken care of at home, are, are just kind of sent off to a nursing home and, and many times, unfortunately, forgotten. Mm. Well, let's make the most of those opportunities to remember those who are sick. And even if it's difficult to get physically to a hospital these days because of COVID restrictions or even a nursing home for the for the same reasons to, to do what we can or even help those who might be holed up at home uh, due to COVID and the like. And, uh, you know, think about uh, providing a, a meal or two or uh, some, something to let them know that uh, that we're there for them as well. Thank you so much for being with us. I uh, always appreciate your time as a regular guest here on Morning Air. It's Pablo K with Angeles News from the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Stick around. There's more coming up next year on Morning Air. We'll talk about January 6th last year. Yeah, that thing at the Capitol. Alfonso Aguilar joins us as Morning Air continues next here on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. From Maui to Maine, you're listening to Morning Air with John Morales. Coast to Coast on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Good morning. Morning Air Rolls on here on Relevant Radio as we roll through that first week of January, the 6th of January, a date which, along with a few others, will live in infamy perhaps, especially when we think to one year ago, we're watching some of what's going on at the Capitol. There's there's been a rally, and that's when uh, you know official things are tabulated in Congress. There, the presidential election. What in the world's going on? Taking a look at the podium there, and they're whisking people away, and then they cut to outside, and crowds are getting bigger and rowdier. And 
Here we are, still talking about it a year later, because it's highly unusual. We don't want to see it repeated either. And to talk about that January 6th riot with us today, as we continue with Morning Air, one of our Morning Air regulars, he's an attorney and political analyst, president of Latino Partnership for Conservative Principles, Alfonso Aguilar is with us. Alfonso, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. Happy to be with you. Well, great to have you along. Were you watching a year ago and going, I can't believe what I'm seeing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and let me say, I actually had friends at the Washington Mall. I'm based here in Washington, D.C., and the majority of people were peaceful. Uh, many were upset uh, and uh, were out there demonstrating, uh, but obviously they had no intention of going to the Capitol uh, and committing acts of violence. Uh, I think what we saw was tragic, was, was uh, awful. But I think it's important to recognize that it was a minority of those uh, who, who who went to the Washington Mall to to demonstrate and participate in this rally. Um, you know, having said that, it, it, it was awful, uh, as you said uh, um, during the intro. Uh, this is a solemn moment in our, in our democracy. The votes from the Electoral College are, are being tabulated. And these people enter to try to intimidate uh, members of Congress, and, and it's wrong. Uh, having said that, I, I don't think it was an insurrection. Uh, I mean, those people were not were not there to take control over government, right? Uh, and uh, but look, they, what they did was awful. Uh, over two million dollars uh, of damage was was done. Uh, one person died. One of the demonstrators, um, and uh, I think that. Uh, Hundreds of people have been arrested and, and should be prosecuted. Uh, some already have received sentences. But I think we have to put things in perspective. Uh, we have to criticize political violence when it comes from the right, when it comes from the left. And as, as we remember that day, that was the culmination of months of violence. Remember the violence uh, that we saw throughout the country in multiple cities the previous summer. Uh, where private property was being destroyed, uh, federal property, uh, courthouses, federal courthouses were attacked. Even the White House was attacked. Uh, activists went in uh, the White House. Uh, President Trump was uh, moved to uh, to a secure location in the basement of the White House. All of that was coordinated by Antifa and BLM-leaning groups, uh, and that was wrong. Uh, you know, I think over 20 people died during that that summer. At the end, that was terrible. Uh, and uh, but but uh, you know, to be honest, Democrats didn't denounce uh, that violence. Um, they remain quiet. Uh, but all of a sudden, they only want to talk about January 6th. And again, I think we have to remember January 6th. It was a tragic event, but we have to put it in context. And, and sadly, I think some people only want to remember January 6th because they want to politicize it. Uh, they want to use it for political gain, and, and I think that's awful. I broadcast from the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, Alfonso, and I <laughs> remember well the riots in the wake of George Floyd's death and saw the aftermath just days after it happened up close and personal. A lot of destruction, second most expensive in terms of property damage right. riots uh, since uh, L.A. in the mid-90s. And, you know, this is uh, something that we had police, a lot of. Police, an entire police precinct was set on fire, right? I mean, it, it yes. makes you wonder if some of these members of Congress, are their lives more important than the lives of 
you know, uh, police officers or or private citizens whose property is being destroyed? I, I don't think so. And I think the American people can see that that double standard. And and by saying this again, by no means I'm saying that uh, the, the, trying to minimize the January six. Uh, events that they were tragic, they were awful, but we really do have to put it in perspective, so as not to to allow the uh, allow the, what happened to be politicized. So much gets politicized. Of course, what happened January sixth was a riot uh, for different reasons, but uh, a riot like many of the riots were uh, during that summer, of course. And it wasn't uh, an effort that was going to result in someone else taking over the country uh, by any means, but it was a riot. It wasn't good. Lives lives were lost, but it is being used. It is being politicized. And when we see coming up this election year here, a midterm election 2022, many think there could be a change in the House of Representatives to uh, Republican control there, a a little tougher fight in the Senate. But uh, when we're looking at all of that, we see Democrats still in 2022 looking to run against former President Trump two years after he's been out of office. And this is part of that plan. And it doesn't work. Uh, we saw it in the Virginia race where uh, the Democratic candidate Terry McAuliffe ran a, a Trump-bashing campaign, and it just didn't work. Americans are practical people. They want to see their issues, of the, the, the risks that the country is, the challenges that the country is facing. They want uh, politicians to... To, to deal with them, to tackle them. And we're seeing uh, an economy where inflation, inflation keeps going up, where prices are, are going up for basic things at the supermarket, at convenience stores, uh, gas is going up, and, and they feel that the government is not doing enough. The border's out of control. Uh, you know, they still remember the images of, 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 of people leaving, uh, of, of, of our exit of Afghanistan, which was chaotic and, and, and totally disorganized. Uh, they, they see uh, also uh, the, the, the murder rate go up in urban centers throughout the country. So people are concerned. Those are the real issues for average Americans. And uh, yes, they, they, they see uh, January 6th as something tragic, but they want to move on. They want government to uh, and those in power to address those challenges that they face, that the country's facing. And what they hear from Democrats is just the same thing. You know, Donald Trump, January 6th. And I suspect that they do it on purpose. It's a, it's a diversion from the problems, that the, the serious problems that the country's facing. Uh, they don't want to talk about how our borders are controlled, how the murder rate has gone up, how prices keep going up. Uh, they rather... Uh, because those are negative stories, and, and uh, those are not things that, that help them politically, certainly in the midterms. So this is a distraction. And um, But I think America, the American people uh, know uh, they're smart, and uh, uh, I don't think this helps Democrats. I think people can see through their efforts to distract them, to use January 6th politically, and uh, the Americans are frustrated with the president. He is... Uh, uh, approval rating is very low, hovering around 40%. In every single issue, he is below 50%, again, around 40%. So uh, Democrats are not very well positioned uh, for the midterms. And so I suspect that throughout the year, they're going to continue to talk about January 6th. Obviously, we have the House Commission uh, you know, doing their own investigation, even though it's, it's, to- it's totally partisan. Uh, it's not a legitimate uh, 
uh, investigation. Uh, they uh, House uh, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy had appointed several Republicans to that commission, and Nancy Pelosi vetoed uh, two of them, Congressman Jim Jordan and Congress, Congressman Banks of Indiana. Uh, so she ended up only appointing two Republicans, uh, Liz Cheney and, and Congressman Kinsinger, two people who are enemies of Donald Trump. So this is a totally biased uh, uh, commission uh, by people who have already prejudged Donald Trump and what happened in January 6th, and and they're going to use it politically. And I think uh, people can see that. Alfonso Aguilar is our guest this morning on Morning Air. It's uh, Glennon for John as we continue with conversation about one year ago, January 6th. And uh, let it be known that uh, it's not our job to endorse or tell you to vote against any particular candidate. But elections have consequences, and our job is to uh, illuminate uh, how the different parties and the different candidates stand on the issues to help encourage you and let you know what the church teaches about certain things, how we ought to look at the importance of certain things like the life issue. And we know uh, there are very different views between Republicans and Democrats on the life issue in most cases and in most candidates. And again, with those elections having consequences, it's a big year coming up. We, of course, expect a decision from the Supreme Court on the life issue that could overturn Roe v. Wade, throwing that uh, legalization of abortion back to the states to decide uh, that, among things, coming up. As we look ahead for things like that, I mean, we saw a a summer of, of riots in the cities. We saw the riot at the Capitol. Do you anticipate, Alfonso, any potentially riots depending on a Supreme Court decision surrounding life at all? I, I hope not. But in this very polarized environment where there are people on the left that are very well organized, that are willing to promote violence, and we saw it uh, during the summer of 2020, those attacks were very coordinated, whereas the attack on January 6th seemed very disorganized by you know, a group of people that, you know, were intent in, in creating havoc and violence, uh, but in a very disorganized way. I think what we saw in the summer of 2020 was very co- was very well coordinated, organized. I hope that it doesn't happen. But, you know, this is a, a key year, the most important year since Roe versus Wade for the pro-life movement. The Dobbs case, uh, it's a key case where the, 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 the court has signaled that they're willing to do something major uh, in terms of uh, how abortion uh, is treated by federal law. Uh, and many anticipate that uh, the court could in- indeed um, uh, do away with Roe versus Wade and send back the, the issue of abortion to the states where, where it really belongs. Uh, it will be a great victory for the pro-life movement, for the right to life of the unborn, uh, and it would have clearly a global impact. Uh, it will resonate throughout the world. The, this is a major issue for the left, sadly. Uh, you know, we have feminists uh, who actually make that their number one issue. I, I think they forget that, you know, half of the uh, people aborted or the human beings aborted are female. Uh, but uh, they may have made it their, their number one issue. Uh, abortion is part of the extreme left agenda. Uh, when we saw those riots uh, in the summer of 2020, there were uh, signs of pro-abortion signs uh, uh, in, in, in a lot of those riots, people holding pro-abortion signs. So um, I hope we don't end up with riots. I really do. But uh, in any case, I, I think that uh, I hope that we get a good decision that has uh, that finally does away with the terribly decided decision of Roe versus Wade. 
Alfonso, you cover politics from the uh, area, literally, of Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. And in the, in the right-wing press, you know, we, we like to complain about how the uh, secular or mainstream press never covers the life issue uh, quite enough or quite accurately. The March for Life coming up in just a few weeks, and we'll have full coverage here on Relevant Radio of that with live reports throughout the day. Uh, does there end up being a buzz in Washington that just kind of gets ignored by, by national media when you have sometimes upwards of a half million people crowding around <laughs> to support life? Yeah, it, it's dramatic, and, and that's a very good point because that goes to show that what the media reports and what we what we see on mainstream uh, news is not necessarily the reality of where the American people uh, is, right? And uh, the March for Life is that perfect example. I don't know of any other public demonstration rally that year after year draws draws it, so many people to Washington. And that's certainly the March for Life. Every year we get from 200 to half a million people. And it's, and it's not only and it's mostly young people, as you know, young, young people from all over the country. Um, and, and it's a hopeful uh, event. And, and I think there are those uh, in the mainstream media that sadly have a liberal bias uh, who may be pro-abortion, who don't want to uh, give it any uh, credibility. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, it, it is one of those events that gives us hope. And that's why... You know, the the only victory that the pro pro abortion movement has had was with Roe versus Wade. Since Roe versus Wade in '73, everything has been a defeat, and that's because I think we are a pro life nation. Um, we see how uh, how many young people are pro life. Uh, the vast majority of Americans oppose uh, late term abortion, um, and I think we're moving in the direction of defending life. So, uh, yes, the, the media, I'm sure, will continue to uh, try to ignore the, uh, pro, the, the March for Life. But the important thing for us is to continue to be witnesses. That march is just so important. And it's a moment of, of not only of, of support for the right to life, but really of prayer. Uh, I mean, you do see people, uh, you know, lots, lots of Catholics uh, coming from different parishes to Washington, and, and it is a moment of prayer. And I think it has had a significant impact throughout the years in helping move forward uh, the defense of the right to life. And the March for Life scheduled for Friday, January 21st in our nation's capital. Again, full coverage here on Relevant Radio coming up on that day and uh, all wrapped around that as well. We're going to continue our conversation uh, talking about January 6th riots at the Capitol and, and much more with Alfonso Aguilar as we continue with Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. From Maui to Maine, you're listening to Morning Air with John Morales, coast to coast on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Take it easy, take it easy. 
Morning Air Rolls on here on Relevant Radio. It's Glenn in for John. Coming up in a little bit here, our story corner for the day uh, related to that big snowstorm and that even bigger traffic jam just a few days ago on the East Coast. That's coming up, and after the top of the hour, we'll talk with Bishop Edward Scharfenberger about the year of the family and ways to live out our faith in our domestic church as well. That's all on the way now. We continue our, our conversation with our guest, Alfonso Aguilar. We've been talking about uh, a year ago, January 6th, the riot at the Capitol and some of the, the riots around the country. Uh, Alfonso, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the psychology of those who participate. In in my opinion, and in watching very carefully the riots after George Floyd's death in, in Minneapolis, uh, they were huge. They uh, involved a lot of people, covered a lot of territory, wrecked a lot of things, and some people lost their lives as well. But it appeared to me that you had maybe 5% uh, really hardcore, maybe 10% protesting you know, what was going on, some of the issues. You had about 5% that were almost professional instigators actually doing the ones throwing the uh, the devices that would set things on fire and breaking the windows in a very technical way for stores and for looting to happen. And maybe 80% of the people were hanging out because it was what was going on. They wanted to be part of something that was going on. And I can remember this back in college in the 80s, well past the, the protest era, and you just longed for something that was going on. And it, it turned out, sadly, the week of finals when we ought to have been studying, there were these uh, uh, fire and brimstone evangelists that were preaching and hollering at the kids, and they were kind of getting hollered back at with some street theater. And it was uh, much more lighthearted than a riot, but it was the, the closest thing to a protest going on. We were, we were looking for what was going on. Is that part of the psychology uh, in the riots? is that people just want to be part of what's going on. They're not really intent in the main to wreck things and hurt people. Oh, that, that, that's such a good point. And uh, look, I, I think it's part of the phenomenon that we're seeing with, with the youth today. They're uh, in a secularized society, sadly. People are, you know, even though the society is secularized, uh, they they're still looking for meaning for their lives, right? So, and and I think um, Archbishop Gomez uh, has has talked about it recently. He he offered up uh, uh, an article about this. Of you know, people are uh, looking for for some meaning, and so they go to these uh, uh, events uh, thinking that they're part of uh, of a movement of of trying to. To promote something positive, uh, some, as you say, may just go because it's the thing to do. Because uh, every, you know, all the young people are going to those rallies, and then you have a small group, very well financed and organized, that do all the all the damage. And they they use the others, right? Because it's about numbers, and in that confusion, uh, and in those uh, um, uh, those mass events where you have so many people. They can operate and 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 cause a lot of of, of harm, but you know uh, what, what um, Archbishop Gomez said that the way as Catholics uh, for Catholics to respond to that uh, uh, is it's, it's this wokeness. He actually called it by its name, wokeness. This wokeness that we're seeing, the this, this the way to respond to it is is by just witnessing the truth, the truth of the gospel. Uh, and that gives us so much meaning. And uh, as you know, uh, I guess I was there. I went through college as well. We all, at the end, were looking for for the truth. Uh, at the end, uh, many end up uh, choosing Christ, the real truth, right? The truth. Uh, and, and that's why the Church has to... The Church doesn't have to do anything uh, special, as, as Archbishop Gomez said. It's to continuing 
to preach the truth of the gospel. Uh, and uh, we're living in very difficult times. So, so yes, when we do see there is psychology there of, you know, uh, I think that, that as Catholics, we, we just have to, 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 to engage them and, and, and tell them what, what we know is the truth that, and, and dissuade them certainly from engaging in, in violence. Uh, and, but even those who, are, who don't want to engage in violence and engage them in a meaningful conversation about what really provides meaning to a person's life. Um, and, uh, and look, I mean, I, I, I think on, uh, it, it, this is a problem in the left and, and I would say also on, on, on the right, there are people that go to these rallies just because, you know, they want to, uh, protest or, 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 or they're not happy with the election results, whatever, uh, the majority are, are certainly don't want to engage in violence, but then you have a small group that takes advantage of those mass rallies to engage in that type of behavior. Uh, you know, it, 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 is a, it, it is a threat, uh, it, it is a real problem of our secularized society. Uh, and, and I think when, when, when a society loses its, its values, uh, people lose its meaning, then we do see uh, this type of, of things. Uh, you know, we are a, a society that, that's going through very difficult problems. Obviously, the issue of abortion as well, when we murder a million uh, onboard babies uh, every year, uh, that has an impact on our society. Violence leads to violence. I remember uh, Pope John Paul II's uh, message to America on one of those trips when he was about to leave to go back to Rome, and, and he said, America, if you want true justice, if you want true civil rights, if you want peace in your communities, defend life. And so... There are many things that are the cause of, of the violence that we see, but the answer is to continue to, to preach the truth of the gospel. Alfonso, too, one of the things we need to be aware of, and maybe especially young people who are the, the target of advertisers in those prime demographic groups that buy a lot of stuff, right, 18 to 34, 18 to 49, we might see commercials, we might uh, read them in magazines, they come across our social media, and it looks like every corporation in America is woke and, uh, you know, and wants yeah. to be more green than the other guy, more friendly to all kinds of varieties of things. We might think, wow, they care so much about those those things I care about. Not so much. They're just trying to market to you. This virtue signaling often is just marketing to a certain group. And to, to be for us to be aware of that and maybe remind uh, those that, that are being targeted by these messages that it is just that. It's a marketing message. Indeed, and, and, and that's a new development in, in, in the woke movement is that they've really penetrated corporate, corporate America. And in every, every corporation has a diversity and inclusion office, and they're pushing this really leftist agenda, uh, transhumanist agenda, uh, you know, supporting the, the radical LGBT agenda, trans agenda. Uh, and, and, and using it in their, in their marketing. Uh, and that's really troubling. Uh, yes, in, 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 in mo most of the time, it's just good PR. They think it's good for their bottom line. Just go with the current. Let's continue promoting that. And, uh, you know, it is difficult. If you look at our society, uh, Hollywood, uh, the media, the academia, and now corporate America seems to be controlled by, 
by this woke movement and woke mentality. So as Christians, uh, we have really to go against the current. Uh, it, it's difficult, but uh, again, and it's difficult for young people, obviously, who, who are easily swayed by, by all these influences, certainly by media, what they see on television or, or now, you know, social media. Uh, and so it is difficult. But uh, what we have on our side is, is the truth of the gospel again. And, and I think if, if, we, if we reason, if we talk to young people, they will, they will respond favorably. And, and, and again, uh, just to, to point to St. John Paul II, he knew, uh, you know, that's why he started uh, um, uh, World Youth Day, right? And uh, it was countercultural. To come here and, and and preach the truth of the gospel, the culture of life, uh, and and call on young people to to open their door the, the, the doors of their of their heart to Christ, it was countercultural. But I think young people felt uh, challenged, and young people want to feel challenged. That's why our bishops uh, uh, have to preach the truth rather than 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 uh, trying to to set a moderate tone so, so as not to offend anyone, I think that we have to, to tell it as it is. And that really inspires people and challenges people. Uh, and um, so, you know, it, it, these are difficult times, but, but you know, I am hopeful that we'll get through them. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, certainly uh, there is a, a very polarized environment. Uh, perhaps in a way, it's necessary because uh, somehow we've lost uh, some common ground in terms of un the understanding of the human person, uh, the role of government. So now we have in our society very different views. However, that cannot lead to violence or violent confrontation. And uh, we have to stress that. Alfonso, just a couple of quick minutes left here. I just want to wrap up as we look at uh, how to behave, how to uh, be a force for good ourselves and the church, how to be a force for good in the in the wake of such a contentious time in our society. I keep referring to the, the George Floyd incident and uh, what happened in the aftermath in Minneapolis. And part of what happened in that aftermath, of the, the riots, very bad, very destructive, even deadly Thursday, Friday, Saturday, things kind of cracked down. Sunday, a more peaceful day when this happened back in uh, May of, you know, a year and a half half ago already, but over that. But uh, the role of the church, churches of a variety of denominations were gathering people that were gathering food and paper products and water and necessities, and it was overflowing as we drove by a church that was just a block or two away from the uh, destruction in Minneapolis. Uh, as far as you could see, bags of donated items and people lined up to get that. To be that force for good, when it's dark, our light can shine that much brighter. Absolutely, and and we see it here in Washington. Uh, you know, people think that every politician or every advocate here in D.C. who's involved in the debate of public issues is, you know, uh, has a confrontational attitude, uh, and th and that's not true. You do find people who 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 engage in the debates, uh, defending principle, but in a respectful way. Uh, you know, there are many issues that majority of issues are prudential issues, right? That uh, are a matter of opinion. So, um, obviously, when when it comes to the right to life, that's a black and white issue that's not prudential. You know, uh, we have to stand on principle, but that doesn't mean that we have to offend anybody or, or certainly engage in violence. And 
And I think when people see that, that you're just looking to have a dialogue to seek the truth, uh, people do notice. And that's a way that we can begin to change things and change society and have an impact. Alfonso, we appreciate your insight so much on uh, so many things, and especially on this, uh, well, sad anniversary of the riots at the Capitol. But uh, we pray for a peaceful day in uh, Washington, D.C. and around the country as well. Look forward to chatting more in the very near future. Alfonso Aguiar joining us this morning on Morning Air here on Relevant Radio. And we continue now on Morning Air. It's Glenn in for John today and time for a look at today's Story Corner. Our story today pulled from the headlines just a few days ago here with a massive snowstorm and the massive traffic jam along I-95 in the eastern part of the U.S. Our story today called Bread from Heaven. It's from Sunny Skies. Casey Hollihan No and her husband John, along with many other motorists, had been stranded on I-95 for over 20 hours. And they noticed a Schmidt baking truck also stuck out on the road with them. After almost 21 hours of being stuck on 95 South, and sleeping here overnight, not having access to food or water, and all of the nearest towns being out of power, we were tired, frustrated, and hungry, said Casey. Many of the people stuck out here had small children, or were elderly, had pets in the car, and hadn't eaten in almost a whole day. So they decided to call Schmidt Baking Company in Baltimore in the hopes that maybe they'd be willing to offer whatever products were on the truck. We reached out to Schmidt Baking Company and begged them to open their truck that was uh, stuck out here with us. And we didn't think it would actually work, but less than 20 minutes later, we got an incredible surprise, she said. Chuck Paterakis, one of the owners of H&S Bakery, which operates Schmidt Baking Company, called the couple directly. We received a personal call from the owner of the company, Chuck, who contacted the driver, and this driver, Ron Hill, opened the back of the truck and with the help of some other people close by, passed out bread to more than 50 cars. And we were all incredibly thankful, said Casey. About 300 packages of bread were handed out that day. Some families had children who had not eaten for hours on end. Some people said this was a saving grace for them, said Casey. This was one of the kindest moments, she said, I've ever witnessed. Thank you, Schmidt. Luke 3.11 says, John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same story from in the news our story for today you can access that in podcast form on the relevant radio app or online at relevantradio.com you can also check out the audio as well as the texts of each story corner on our facebook page glenn's story corner on facebook as well and we always are interested to hear what you have to say if you have story suggestions you'd like to pass along something you might have run into that you think would be great or even something you might have written yourself we'd love to hear from you you can email us morning air at RelevantRadio.com. That's Morning Air at RelevantRadio.com. Great hour coming up here as we continue with more of Morning Air after the news headlines. We'll talk about the wonder worker of Montreal, St. Andre Bissette, with Father James Kubicki. And coming up next, the year of the family and ways to live out our faith in our home, our domestic church. That's with Bishop Edward Scharfenberger right around the corner here as we continue with Morning Air at Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. <laughs> 